as I said in my introduction, we're thinking about that idea of, of raising uh, doubts this morning. And, and questioning is, is a significant part of the Bible. It's full of questions. Abraham asked God, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land? And that's in Genesis 15. Sarah laughed and asked, An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? Genesis, obviously the message version. (laughs) Moses asked of God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The psalmist asked many questions. Maybe these are more where you're at. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Psalm 10. Or, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And the disciples asked Jesus, When will these things happen that you have told us about? And Thomas, who we'll be looking at this morning, being told that Jesus was risen and had appeared to the disciples, responded by saying, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for all it teaches. And I pray now you'd fill us with your spirit. Take my word and take your words and speak to us through them in Jesus' name. Amen. As Bobby said, we're thinking about (laughs) doubt today. I had to change a light switch this week and uh, Jess had the cheek to doubt my skills. Uh, Well, she's in for a shock later. (laughs) Back to form, I think. (laughs) That was a joke. I didn't change a light switch this week, and I don't normally give my wife electric shocks. (laughs) Doubt can be a good thing. Um, If you have a computer, you've probably seen a message something like, are you sure you want to delete all these files? That's very useful if you press delete by mistake. In the early days of computers, there was no such thing as an undo button. Such a useful thing these days. Once or twice, I've wished that my computer would be clever enough to scan the emails that I've written and say, are you sure you want to send this one? (laughs) But doubt is not always a good thing. If we doubt the skill of a doctor, it might stop us taking the medicine we need to be made well. Self-doubt is extremely common and can stop us doing things that we are able to. My current health issues are causing me that sort of doubt at the moment. To question myself, my ability to do things every single day, it's not good. We are wise not to believe everything we see or read in the news, but if we start to doubt all of it, we'll get in trouble. When it comes to our faith then, is doubt an important part of it, or is it something that we need to put in the bin. Let's see what this passage from John's Gospel has to teach us. We find ourselves in Jerusalem on the first Easter Sunday. On that first day of the week, it says. The first day of the week is not Monday, it is Sunday. 
the day Jesus rose from the dead. He'd already met Mary Magdalene a few verses earlier, verses 14 to 17, in the garden outside the tomb where he'd been buried. She had run and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord, in verse 18. But they didn't believe her. So I often think it's kind of a bit mean to single out Thomas as doubting Thomas, because actually none of the disciples believed until they saw. So we're in Jerusalem. Uh, We're in a locked room, it says, in verse 19. Uh, The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. I don't blame them. They'd just seen what those Jewish leaders had done to Jesus, and they were known as Jesus' sort of core, key followers. So they were next. I can see and imagine that the atmosphere was pretty tense. And now they were confused as well. What happened to Jesus' body? Suddenly... Verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them. How he got through the locked door, I don't know. As Graham showed us last week, he wasn't a ghost. They were able to touch him and he ate with them. John isn't concerned with any of that here. He's concerned that we know what Jesus said to them. Verse 19, Jesus says, peace be with you. He says it again in verse 21, peace be with you. And again in verse 26, peace be with you be with you. Three times he repeats it in these verses. I wonder what peace means to you. If you've got kids or grandkids or maybe even great-grandkids, you might know the book Peace at Last. Yeah, you know that book Peace at Last? Some of you nodding away. Normally by peace we mean the absence of stuff like uh, noise or stress or work. But in the Bible, peace Shalom in Hebrew isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of wholeness or completeness. It's not the absence of something, it's the presence of wholeness or completeness. One writer that I read this week defines it as life at its best under the gracious hand of God. That is what Jesus meant when he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Of course they were. He was back. It's like when you lose something precious down the back of the sofa and you find it weeks later, only much, much better. I'm constantly losing my wedding ring because when I I get very dry hands and I take it off to moisturise and I'm I'm not sure where I put it. And then Jess will find it a few days later that she'll come up to me with this ring and say, marry me, please. (laughs) How I long for that day when I will see Jesus like they did. Do you long for that day when you'll see him face to face? And I will say, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God, how I long for that day. Jesus was there to bring joy to his friends and to bring peace. Uh, But he was also there to give them a commission. Verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. They and we are to continue the work that Jesus had started in his earthly ministry, announcing the coming of the kingdom of God, calling people to repentance and faith, telling people of the Father's forgiveness and love, releasing and healing people in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus started, and that's what they, the disciples, and we are called to continue And it's actually what verse 23 means. If you want to talk to me about that later, you can. Then Jesus, it says, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, 
receive the Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. It's an unusual word for breathed, it's not the normal one, and actually it only appears here in the New Testament. But it does appear several times in the Old Testament, in some quite important places. In Genesis chapter 2, it's right at the beginning of the Bible, verse 7, God breathed life into Adam. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21, Elijah breathed life into a young boy who had died. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, Ezekiel prophesied to the wind, or breath, or spirit, it's the same word in Hebrew, he prophesied to the wind, and it breathed life into the valley of dry bones. That's the word that John uses here, as Jesus breathed on them, or into them. Do you see what he's getting at, John? Without the Spirit breathing life into us, we're as good as dead, like Adam was, like the young boy was, like the Valley of Dry Bones. When Jesus breathed on his disciples, it was a sign of what was about to happen. Fifty days later at Pentecost, he was going to send the Spirit to bring life, to transform these frightened and locked away disciples who were still frightened and locked away 50 days later into the bold apostles who went everywhere in the known world and changed it forever. That's the life that the Spirit brings. Have you ever been told a story by someone that's too good to be true? Maybe it has a grain of truth, but you know it's been exaggerated for effect. You know it's not quite true. The person telling the story knows it's not quite true, but you all nod along and smile as the story is told. Uh, Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, someone once told me. Now, I don't know what Thomas thought the others were up to when they told him they'd seen Jesus. But he didn't believe them. Of course he didn't. People don't come back from the dead. That doesn't happen. For whatever reason, he was not with the disciples in the room uh, that night when Jesus came. Uh, When they told him excitedly in verse 25, we've seen the Lord. He said to them, he poured cold water all over their joy. And he said to them, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Here's an example of the centuries of Christian art that have followed that verse. That's Caravaggio. You can sort of see Thomas shoving his finger into Jesus' side. Except, John doesn't actually say that happened. Too often we think we know what the Bible says without actually checking it or reading it. I mean, for example, we all know, don't we, that there was a donkey in the stable when Jesus was born before he was visited by three kings. We all know Adam and Eve ate an apple in the Garden of Eden. We all know that money is the root of all evil. We know Jonah was swallowed by a whale and that Thomas shoved his finger into Jesus' side. We know all those things, except none of them is actually in the Bible. There are many, many more examples. Neither Matthew nor Luke mentions a donkey or a stable. The kings were pagan priests, and Matthew never says there were three of them, simply three gifts. The apple in the Garden of Eden is described as fruit, so could have been a fig or a pomegranate. Paul actually says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's quite different. 
Jonah was swallowed by a fish, and whales aren't fish. And John never actually says that Thomas put his finger into Jesus' wounds. Some of those aren't really that important, but they illustrate an important point. We need to make sure that we listen to what the Bible actually says, rather than what we think it says, or what we want it to say. In Ephesians, Paul famously likens disciples to a Roman soldier, with a helmet, with breastplate, and, and, and uh, shields, and so on. The only weapon he describes is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Friends, the battle we are in is real, and our only weapon is this. It teaches us who God is, and all his promises to his people. It tells us what he's done, and the things he will do. It contains four eyewitness accounts of Jesus. It tells us who we are, and how God is calling his people to live lives of holiness, to be different, to be in the world but not of the world. It's not that the Bible is easy or contains an answer to all of life's questions. Of course it doesn't. Some questions do have answers and we need to listen, even if we don't like what we hear. But whatever question we have, the Bible always leads us to God. And it always invites us to put our trust in him. And ultimately, that's what faith is. Faith is not about knowing enough stuff. Faith is about trusting our Father, who speaks to us, who loves us, who sent Jesus and sends his Spirit to help us. I've read a lot of stuff that says that doubt is good, that doubt is an important part of faith. I disagree. Bobby read some questions from the Bible earlier. Having questions is good. The Bible encourages it. In fact, challenges us to question God, to bring our questions to him. If you're struggling with that, read the Psalms. Read a Psalm every day. The Psalmist is really angry a lot of the time and really challenges God. But Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27, Stop doubting and believe. Doubt is not a good thing for at least three reasons. At first, doubt hurts. Some of our doubts, some of our questions are, are quite small and don't really impact us day to day. You know, every now and then we might think, oh, what about that? Oh, never mind. Others are huge and we can't get through the day without thinking about it sometimes or even maybe all the time. Thomas was clearly hurting here. He was mourning the loss of Jesus, his friend. He'd been with Jesus for years. He was disappointed. He was mourning. And now he either missed out or he was the victim of some cruel joke. He was hurting. Second doubt cuts us off from others. It's too easy to think wrongly that we are the only ones with doubts and questions and that everyone else in church has faith like a massive oak tree. It's not true. But it means we keep them to ourselves. We keep those doubts and questions to ourselves. We don't share them. We keep ourselves to ourselves, like Thomas stayed away that first Easter night. But when we do that, our doubts grow and, and they can fester and become something worse. They can become cynicism or, or unbelief. Thirdly, doubt stops us trusting 
God. Often something happens that seems to contradict what we thought we knew. Thomas thought Jesus was the Messiah, and then he was killed. Had Thomas left his home and his family for three years for a liar? Or did he need a a bigger, less simple view of God than he had? Doubt is a normal thing. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Doubt is normal. Even vicars have doubts. Okay? Uh, If you think I've spent the last three months at home studying the Bible and praying, you could not be more wrong. I have been and am angry, frustrated, annoyed, lazy. I doubt myself, my role, my suitability. I doubt his love for me, his goodness, his care. I wondered if I even want to come back or just give up. Doubt is normal, but it's not good. Doubt is not a good thing. It is part of the journey of faith for all of us, but it can knock us off that journey. It can knock us off course so easily, especially when we keep it to ourselves. That's why Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27, stop doubting and believe. Sometimes trusting God is easy, but actually, I think most of the time, faith is not something we have. Faith is something we do. It's something we choose. Sometimes I feel I have faith, and and that's great, those sort of mountaintop experiences where everything feels great and wonderful. Most of the time, I have to choose to put my trust in God. That's what Jesus means when he says, stop doubting and believe. I love the way Jesus treated Thomas in his doubts. He appears to them all, uh, verse 26. Thomas is with them. He appears to them. He says the same thing he said the first time. Peace be with you. Remember in the Bible, peace is not about the absence of noise, but the presence of wholeness. He spoke those words to Thomas. Then he speaks directly to Thomas and he showed he knew exactly what had been in Thomas's heart all week. It's a whole week later. Don't miss that point. Thomas has been festering all week. He missed out, he's cross, he's frustrated. Jesus knew that, and he loved him anyway. Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. It's almost exactly what Thomas said. He knew, and he loved him anyway. And in the same way, Jesus knows what's in your heart this morning. Your doubts, your questions your shame, your secret sins. He knows it all, and he loves you anyway. He loved Thomas, and he loves you as you are. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. He wants us to be transformed, renewed, made fresh. He calls all his people to change, to believe. Stop doubting and believe, Jesus said to Thomas. And he did. I picture Thomas falling to his knees on the floor before Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God. No poking, simply worship. Doubt is normal, but it is not a good thing. Jesus loves us even when we doubt him. He is faithful even when we are not. 
He holds us fast, even when we can barely cling on by our fingernails. He loves us in our doubts, but sends his spirit to change us, to renew us, to bring life, like in the Valley of Dry Bones, to help us grow in trust, to help us walk in faith. The worst thing we can do with our doubts and our questions is to keep them to ourselves. Believe me, it's the worst thing we can do. To shut ourselves off from God, from his word, from our Christian sisters and brothers. I promise you that if any one of you ever comes or came to me uh, with a question or a doubt, however small or enormous, I won't slam the door in your face. I don't know if you think I would, but I wouldn't. I won't give you glib or easy answers, because there aren't any. I will listen. I will pray. We will look at the scriptures together. And I will walk alongside you. And hope that together we can point ourselves towards Jesus and the peace that is found only in him. If you don't want to talk to me, fine. I won't be offended, I promise. Uh, But please talk to someone else. Talk to a a Christian friend or or, or family member that you trust. Talk to them. You may well find that they have the same question or the same doubts. Pray about them together. Laugh and cry with one another. Don't expect a quick fix or an easy answer, but be committed to one another in love. And pray for Jesus to breathe his spirit into us, into you, to bring life, to bring peace and a deep knowledge of God's love for you in Jesus. That's what that breathing has to do with doubt. Because ultimately we need that peace that comes only from Jesus, that life that comes only from him. Uh, Finally, John's famous summary shows why he wrote his gospel. Verse 31. He wrote it that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Note what he does not say. These things are written that you may have answers to all of life's questions. Hang on a minute doesn't say that. John wrote, so we might put our trust in Jesus, whether we know the answers or not. To put our trust in Jesus that he knows, even when we do not. The road is bumpy and the journey is long, fraught with danger, but God doesn't expect or want us to travel alone. There's a sort of weird inverted pride that makes us try to do that. God breathes his life into us. He sends his spirit to transform and renew us. He tells us all we need to know if we would but listen to it. He gives us each other for support. And he invites us to put our trust in him, to choose him, even when we feel like he loves everyone else except us. God's response to our doubts and questions is sometimes to give us an answer but all the time his answer is trust me put your faith in Jesus so you may have life for as Jesus said blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed not who have faith who have believed amen